All right, everybody. I call this uh, program to order. Welcome to uh, the Hilliard Beacon Podcast, number two. Number two. Uh, coinciding as audio companion product with uh, the Hilliard Beacon number two, featuring the writing of Kevin Corvo. And I am Jordan Smith. This is my collaborator, Tim Hoffman over here. Tim Hoffman. Uh, you all know me as the donut man, and Tim as the coffee guy, and Kevin as the reporter man. And today, <laughs> one of us is still playing that role. <laughs> so, uh, but before we get into uh, Hilliard Beacon number two, there is a local event. There is a local phenomenon that has monopolized the attention of the populace like nothing since, I don't know, maybe Car Gang? Like, you know, I maybe that local phenomena, local Mothman, the Turkey Gang. Right. The Turkey Gang Odyssey has come to a conclusion. Uh Kiss them goodbye. Let's get into it. Let's kiss them goodbye. Let's chop them up. <laughs> uh, everybody knows or everybody has a level of relationship with the turkeys. I have almost no relationship with the turkeys, so I'm going to turn it over to someone who has some keen insight to the early turkey era. Yes. Early, beginning just over a year ago, February uh, of 22 was the first time I saw a pack of wild turkeys in Hilliard. Uh, it was in the morning around 8 o'clock, and I was, I think I had just dropped a kid off at Tharp, mm. had circled around, and there in front of Tharp were, I, I can't, I was able to get photos. I think I, I think I made a loop to get photos of the turkeys. I was like, "Cool turkeys!" I'm going to circle back and get photos. There were eight of them at the time, <laughs> and, so, and, and some of them were were quite young. I like turkeys, sure, man. So you know, this, this was is why I turned it over to you for this part. So it was, it was right up my alley immediately. I was like, "Turkeys!" And I found out later. I think through Clint's wife, Kristen, maybe. Oh man, Clint's one of my roasters. First-hand reporting. But Kristen is, you know, lifelong Hilliard, well-connected mom, young mom in the community. So she's tuned into certain things, and she's like, "Hey, there's a Facebook group about the turkeys called called Hilliard Turkey Gang," and so I think there were already like over. A, no, I think it was in the hundreds when I joined. Wow. Uh huh. So. Has anybody checked those numbers lately? It's over three thousand. It was about. It was up to about five thousand. <clears throat> wow! But that ridiculous. You know that has been a, a group that I've tuned in and out of over the last year because um, it got, it would get nasty. It would get toxic in there. Sometimes it gets a little too much. Well, you know, it's interesting. What's been interesting to me and what I'll probably uh, write up uh, when I get a minute to sit down and think about it was is the different mindsets that people have, what they think of when they see you know the turkeys, what that experience of having them in town, if it means anything to them, what does it mean? Um, you know, and so there are people to whom it really doesn't mean anything. Some people who were hand-wringing over the safety of the animals like they, they didn't run over a squirrel the other day. Um, and then you had, like, weirdos who were like, turkeys are cool, I'm, these are going to be my bros. <laughs> communing with communing with the bird. 
Yes. Uh, I grew up Eastern Ohio, and I had one of my best friends, one of my very best friends, is a lifelong member of the National Wild Turkey Federation. Okay. Which is a turkey hunting and calling group <laughs> that uh, basically goes around, well, not goes around, but they it's the art of hunting turkeys, essentially. I got That's where that is. So <laughs> I don't have much familiarity with turkeys. So being in being in Hilliard the whole time, were there ever was do you remember when there was ever a, a roving pack of animals? Not not in town. Um, you know, I mean I suppose you would have seen them out in the outline areas. I mean I'm old enough that you know Hilliard's expanded far sure. to the west sure. and, and out there. But no I don't recall any ever seeing turkeys. Right. Um, so even when it was or other less, less developed, well, in the neighborhood in town, town, less dense. I mean, in the neighborhood you moved into, mm-hmm. I mean, there's a lot of rabbit. Sure, there's a lot of uh, skunk. Sure, be aware. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's also fox. Okay. I've seen fox over there. I've seen coyote. Mm-hmm. For Down, sure. Not like on our street or whatever, but over by the shop. Right. Um. You know, when it was a little more heavily wooded. Over there deer, before that truck. Um, oh, sure. I yeah. still see deer in uh, Darby Glen Park, which mm-hmm. uh, surprises me. Yeah. Back in there uh, along the, the train uh, tracks. They're they're still along there, and occasionally sure. they'll come out in the middle of Darby uh, yeah. Park. Yeah, Darby Glen Park. I saw one two days ago. Um, it sprinted back. It sprinted back into the wood line, but it was it was uh, in Darby Glen Park. Nice. So we're not entirely uh, city city slickers here. We have some uh, relationship with nature, and I think that was kind of uh, exemplified. And like you said, everybody's different reactions to it. There were some people who thought it was the most endearing thing in the world. You know, like they'd never been that close to a wild animal before or seen anything like it. Right. And then, you know, there's me. It's like I'm calling up Harvey. It's like, what's that call you use where you rub the little stick along that dish and it makes the squeaking sound? Gobble, gobble, gobble. Because, yeah, because you can really just walk them right in and then boom. I mean, point blank range. It's almost too easy. Right. But um, that was not what happened. So how did this all conclude? What happened? Well, there's been the, it's been a long year for those turkeys. Oh, okay, so we, we're not going straight to the conclusion. We're not Let's... going to the conclusion yet because it's it's interesting kind of what happened and the way they interacted. Sure. Most people encounter the turkeys <clears throat> on Leap Road mm. on the stretch between the post office and the <laughs> and cemetery. Uh-huh. That's where they tended to stay. They were on Edler Street at times. My mom shared that they had made it as far south as Wild. Edler Street. Um, I never sound that far south. No. I'm not sure where Edler Street is. Down, Edler Street's in the Beacon subdivision. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's do you know what Edgewin Avenue is? Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Jeanette Road. Yeah. <clears throat> okay. So Jeanette, Jeanette, and Edgewin cross Leap Road, and then uh, Edler mm-hmm. Paxton run parallel to. Now, like- where I think they had been roosting lately. Now, uh, maybe six months ago, they were staying in a house adjacent to the post office. Okay. Okay. They would be up in the trees there. That's where they were staying because um, someone in those apartments has a lot of bird feeders, so they would just. Sit I around. saw mm. social media. I didn't investigate that myself. Right. The, the Lakespur apartments. There were. Yeah. So they were, were there. Someone got. There. Someone got great photos. They would also be across the street in the parking lot where the Windbook and those. That office park back there? The Leap Court office. Yeah. So they would be there, and there's, like, action photos in the the Facebook group of 
these turkeys kicking some geese's butts. <laughs> like right. and greasers and socias <coughs> taken <laughs> taken by a guy who put up a lot of really like good <clears throat> photographer, like nice camera knew what he was doing, good cool mm. photos of a turkey going after uh, a goose. I saw those. Probably had to take eight hundred pictures of that to get that one like good action yeah. shot. And it so, says here, wild turkeys nest on the ground in dead leaves at the base of trees. So, like, underneath those conifer, like, those, mm-hmm. those trees over there right. by the post office. Yeah, I can that, see why they would want to be in that. That was a good spot for them. I don't know why they ended up moving. Uh, or if that person quit feeding him as much. If it was, you know, maybe they were a pain in the ass. I don't know. I, most of the selfies I got with the turkeys were by the post office. So, uh, I think the last place where they were roosting most often was on the corner of uh, Leap and Cemetery, um, but on the qu- on the corner where that house is, mm. it's like opposite the CVS, yeah, across the street from the. Crow. They were there. <clears throat> I think they were because one morning when I was going to school, I saw them, like fly. They were actually flying out of the tree that was across the street. Oh, I never there. saw them fly. Did yeah. You, did you name them? So, peep, people, been named. people were calling them after the high schools, which I thought right. was dumb. My idea was <laughs> that they should be uh, uh, Joe, Donnie, and Barack. <laughs> <laughs> what about, uh, I mean, Larry, Curly, and Moe is right there. I mean... Right, that's a couple of, good. A bunch of guys bumbling around on the streets. But grow- or maybe Tim, Jordan, and Kevin. I don't know. <laughs> but growing up with in my house, typically you heard politicians of whatever stripe. They were, they were either bozos or turkeys. So there was an injury. There was an injury. And I think this was when they were mostly, you know, hanging out in the in that corner. You know, not as much in the post office but apparently one of them I think they said it got bit on the leg it looked it had a broken leg mm. and so that injured bird was taken to a place that takes care of injured birds who still there uh, they post up in the group to right the group because people ca- people shares. care about this injured turkey <laughs> they, they care about uh-huh, it which yep. is so like I'm just like I you know Sorry, man. I understand that these turkeys are going to end up whatever. I just I like (laughs) having them around. I don't expect them to make a little bit of local color, you know. Yeah, just something weirder than me for once. (laughs) Yeah, well, I mean, you know, you got to take a little of the heat off every once in a while, buddy, for sure. So there was an injury. They decamped one. They took care of that one. The other two soldiered on for uh, and several weeks. It's been weeks and weeks until so the original policy of ODNR. Mm. regarding turkeys in this area was that this is their habitat this this is a normal place for them to live you're encroaching on their habitat it's not so much (laughs) white man and and it's not so much that but it's just like they're that's they can be here sure they live here yes they're allowed allowed to live here turkey it's not normal and Clearly, we couldn't handle it. So do you think they kind of, like, escaped from someone's private care? Do you think they were legitimately just a wild brood of turkeys that somehow wound up Somebody in Somebody harbored lost animals at the fellow in Zanesville? Well, not, like, lost or anything. But, you know, people have, people keep stuff. 
people go. want, you know. Early on, the turkeys, I saw them at Tharp, but I remember teachers at both Britain and Norwich talking about how the turkeys would be there on the grounds, too. Mm-hmm. So I think that was earlier on. That might have been when there were more than three of them, mm-hmm. before our three fellas uh, stayed put while the others got real lives. Moved out of their mom's basements and got on with their lives. Got on with their freaking turkey. Well, it's no. I mean, it's no. It's no surprise that the three dudes stayed behind and (laughs) drug their feet on everything, right? And they so they captured, especially in the middle of Cemetery Road. Oh yeah, for sure. So it was uh, late last week when the word broke. They're going to catch them. They're out today. We're gonna find. They're gonna find and capture the last two turkeys, and so. So the part where you put them in your basket on the front of your bike, and you drove down the street with the little towel draped over right. them, and <laughs> yeah, they pulled out their walkie-talkies at you. <laughs> so it was Thursday that went. I drove around to look to see if I could see. You anything. have pictures of this, right? Well, I have pictures of Friday when I finally found them. And because it's over, they were set up in the field behind the post office. Excellent. This is the this is the cover art for the podcast. And they the had these turkey. Hunters. And they had a, a, a cardboard female turkey. Oh, in the ground. You uh-huh. know, with like lipstick and uh, man, I wish butt I've, sticking out ooh. turkey thing. Well, and they had are, and, is that the Bugs Bunny cartoon? Like yeah. Bunny cartoon. And they what they had it looked like. Five or six in a row of like a spring-loaded net that would go poof. I mean, these things are partially domesticated at this point, wandering around like these cars and moving vehicles, and like yeah. they've got some kind of built-in like endurance to normal bird anxiety because normally these things don't like hang around this this regularly, right? I mean, right. this seems a little odd. Anyway, yeah, all right, odd. I've given I've given this twelve minutes. We're done. We're we've. <laughs> Delivered on our promise to Turkey Town. Turkey Town. I'll do a supplemental later. <laughs> you can write the uh, the oral history of uh, Turkey Time by Tim Hoffman. But anyway, you know, it was it was. Uh, I enjoyed having something weird or different going on for a little while. But I'm sure I'm surprised it lasted over a year. Right. I'm surprised it didn't get nipped in the bud before that. Right. I only ever saw them. Around the post office, right? Uh, cemetery and Deep Road. My encounter is very mundane. Um, I don't know, maybe twice or three times a month, um, I might see them. Mm-hmm. Usually driving Dominic to school down at Davidson to come back up Leap Road to go to Darby Glen. Uh, right. I'd, I'd, I'd see them a few times a month. I'd see them most days. Uh, and just stopped in the middle of the right road. Uh, and some cars would stop for them, and others wouldn't. And that's where I thought the danger sometimes was, uh, was a, a, car, a driver would get impatient and just swing around to the left and, mm. and go through. Um, mm-hmm. and Create a wait. Other, other drivers stop and wait. <clears throat> so they were released to Prairie Oaks, huh? That's the. I think that's where I saw the... Well, the word was, in the thing was that, that they, was were being, they were being sent to a sanctuary. Mm-hmm. Like okay. a bird sanctuary. Well, that's what I first... Birds where they would be to recover, <laughs> to recover from their experience. And right. I, someone else said to me that uh, they've been released in the Metro Park that they saw on social media. But I, I haven't looked at the Turkey Gang website. It's probably on their website. People started getting real mad. That's I haven't looked at it in days because people were being really mean. Well, you know, anytime something comes to an end, 
people kind of settle their settle their hash. However, they're going to settle I it guess. with the whole thing. People were there. People were being very rude in there. So I, I just well, I yeah. backed out. I mean, enough. it's important to like just hey, people that have to share their mind. Like you said, it's a five thousand person group or whatever, and maybe three people are yammering a you know in an appropriate pitch. <laughs> but <clears throat> a lot of rudeness. A lot, <laughs> a lot of pile. Pylons. He, he he hurt himself in the social media, folks. It's a new phenomenon. I don't know what. It, I don't know if you're familiar with it or not. I'll tell you the last the last thing I'll say about the turkeys is my favorite turkey story. We were leaving. I, I hadn't seen them in like a week and a half or so. I hadn't seen them in a while, and I was like, I wonder where those guys are. <laughs> and we were leaving the grocery store, so we cross cemetery and get on the 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 one that goes Brown Parkway, whatever Brown that Park is. Drive. Grand Park Drive, go straight across the street there, and there next to the storage place, chasing each other in a circle around a tree. <laughs> it was the funniest. It was ridiculous. Mm-hmm. That was right out of a Bugs Bunny cartoon. There was literally three <laughs> fluffy feathery birds. It was hilarious. <laughs> so God rest you, merry turkeys. Yeah, you know we had a great time. We appreciate you coming and bringing that uh, true party boy attitude. And uh, you know, stay safe out there. Um, don't uh, don't fall for any fake calls or flying nets <laughs> or anything like that. Your social media stardom, though, might be at a conclusion. Yeah, everybody don't, don't gets know 15 a, minutes, you know, right? Don't know the 15 minutes and more, but <laughs> probably no more social media pages for them at, the, at their new home. Well, somebody somebody needs to pick up that torch. We are we are picking up the torch of a continuing city investigation. Uh, let's move on to uh, Hilliard Beacon edition number two. We have uh, the follow-up article. Um to the initial, uh, uh, basically, you know, that's the that's the thing with this. Just to <clears throat> derail us immediately, uh, this is the follow up. This is the thing that no one else has, and going forward, no one else is going to have because Kevin is on this. Kevin knows how to report these things. He's building a trail of work throughout, as you'll see. We're taking a look at this article today. Certain things are starting to emerge. Who's actually doing the investigation at the police department? Who is now in charge of the finance department in the interim? You know, there have been some comments from a particular council member so far on the record, and I'm sure, you know, as people say these things and see these things and want more information, there will be more opportunities for people to go on the record talk about it. Uh, but let's go to Kevin now. Let's talk to you about what exactly the state of the investigation is into the fishing. I, it'll take several months for the investigation to, uh, to conclude. Mm-hmm. So, and I don't think much new will be publicly reported um, until, until its conclusion. Uh, members of the city council uh, have told me they have an interest in what these findings are. So um, questions will probably be asked Know, by them uh, as to what as to what the findings of the audit are, and ultimately what the investigation uh, might result, uh, the findings of the, of the police investigation too. So there's the audit within the finance department as to how it occurred, and the police investigation into who the perpetrator might have been, um, and uh, I mean, city council will be asking the findings of those. Yeah, tracing the money using police powers criminally through you know bank transactions and whatever else they can have revealed. Um, 
Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but at least initially I thought that there was maybe talk of going to an external auditor to do an independent audit process, or this is all just going to be handled in line? With... I haven't asked about that, but there, there, there's an audit being done, an independent audit being done. Okay. okay. All right. Um, you talked to less carrier specifically about I did talk to Les. this and you know nobody else has got that you know uh, conversation yet and he basically kind of he said to you this is a situation that feels like uh, developing developing it's it's developing he needs to look into it more he wants to evaluate these findings but he's also pushing for transparency I think the quote was you know, as yes. soon as it's allowable, mm-hmm. he wants mm-hmm. as much of that released as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, True. I don't know. What's your take on what's your take on that so far? As far as appropriate level of um, uh, concern and interest from all parties, or you know, I mean, I feel like this is a big story, and you know, internally everybody's interested. They are. Um, I've not attended the most recent council meetings, so I've not been witness to, um, and those are broadcast, uh, the city broadcast those, so um, I could view those or anybody else could right, as well, right. uh, so I, I haven't talked to enough as individual fact, council members to, to learn how each of them independently view what's happened and what they expect to result from the, from the investigations. Um, I think that's a, I think that's a group of people that you know they've they've taken this step to bring in a city manager you know this the people voted for that step because a lot of cities our size traditionally at this level feel like an administrator serves the purpose of mayor just as well as a mayor does now oh there's absolutely. a lot of, there's a lot of you know conjecture that, that you know democratically speaking it's always better to elect someone because that adds another layer of accountability mm-hmm. Um, because here's the situation, you know, and this is the thing for me that I still, I'm like, I'm a guy who doesn't know how to solve a Rubik's cube, but I am looking at this month of time where this fraud was discovered and reported to the police, but not reported to the city administration and the city manager. I'm just spinning this Rubik's cube. I'm trying desperately to make the sides line up the right colors because that is the further uh the further failure like that's where you know you didn't just trip down the stairs you tripped down the stairs landed in a bucket fell through a glass door (laughs) onto the port you know i mean it just kind of goes on and on you know what makes sense jordan is all right holy mackerel this thing has happened I need to see if I can call the cops and get it fixed mm. before I report it. That is that's uh, one explanation why I might call the cops and not tell my boss. Mm. Well, I mean, you know, wild conjecture but that, on my that, part too, just to think about that. But that I mean, seem I, to put a naive amount of faith in, in, in an investigation, though. Well, and again, that's why the thing is like. From top to bottom, you say protocol and procedure wasn't adhered to. That's what David Ball has said. Has said protocol. What those protocols and procedures are is yet another question. I think. Right. Yeah. Um, and I think 
I think City Council wants to know, uh, it seems City Council wants to know more about what those protocols and procedures are um, as well. Right. Um, Got to have somebody step through that <clears throat> with someone uh, because, you know, it's one of those things where you've got a reputation <laughs> as, a, as a city uh, and we need to have a tighter reputation as a city. And I think everybody agrees to that and I don't think anybody's happy about any of this, but uh, that's what makes it news. Uh, it's yeah. worth reporting. Some residents have uh, questioned, uh, or asking their own questions too, uh, okay. even at the council meetings. Okay. Um, and as more people begin to discover the absence of this week news and the Northwest news, um, uh, they're asking those questions too. Right. So, um, Who is following up? Well, good well, news. Well, that's what I'm waiting even to see. I mean, uh, I, I don't have any illusions that people read every week what the community newspaper put out. I think things will happen. This will happen. And then people, oh, well, I wonder what's in the Northwest News about it. Oh, it's not there. Um, I think that will still happen over the ensuing months. Um, I don't think really everybody necessarily knows that the paper closed uh, last month. Right. And um, as I said last week, too, I mean, I'm waiting to see, too, as well, what, how will this be covered in the absence of the Northwest News and the role that community newspapers had, not only here but in Dublin, Worthington, Westerville, the other cities, uh, those papers are gone from those communities as well. Um, so there's not a community newspaper there anymore. How the larger media fills that void, um, I don't know. It's become endemic. Um, I mean, if you examine a larger trend of the closures of newspapers and community newspapers it's across the country, uh, Mobile, Alabama closed their newspaper last week. It had existed since eighteen twenty something. Sure. Uh, it will live. It will live in a digital format. But, sure. but they stopped printing the paper. These things are eating up, as it always happens. Like the the <clears throat> Country Weekly or whatever was gone thirty years ago. But certain things hung around in different formats because they were acquired and put into different you know boxes, and maybe it made sense. But you know. I come from the Youngstown area, and the Vindicator is now digital only, I believe, right? And it's it's another one of those papers that's been around institutionally forever, but um, you know the the underlying model uh, proved not durable in the mm -hmm. face of this digital uh, transformation and other things. I mean, this is a conversation that, by virtue of um, what we're setting out to do here, we'll always be able to come back to. But sure. Go ahead, Kevin. Mobile and the Vindicator can, in, in larger cities can go to uh, can go digital. Mm. Uh, and again, I, I should have taken notes. Maybe had them in front of me uh, for this uh, for this podcast. Uh, but there are newspapers closing in small communities of fewer than five thousand people, and then there is nothing to replace. Oh, that. sure. Right. The Continental News Review. Um, mm. I used to see that at my in-laws up in Putnam County, um, and I haven't seen it for years. I don't think it exists anymore. But for, but for the last, like, five years, every issue, the f front story was 50 years ago. <laughs> it was a, every issue, it was a 50-year flashback, uh, which I was like, ah, okay. Yeah, I mean, you know... And the Since town two thousand five. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. The town had shrunk, so there was less happening. Right, right. Less to keep keep something in print on some on something that doesn't produce a lot of news. Yeah. Uh, Since two thousand five, we lost more than twenty five hundred newspapers and tens and thousands of jobs in journalism. 
Um, Australia, for instance, lost more than uh, 15% of its newspapers from just 2008 to 2019, uh, and you can trace a similar path. This guy, Matt Stoller, wrote this book, Goliath, that I was just finishing, and one of the last chapters talks about the role of consolidation um, you know, in, in trying to replicate um, certain business practices from like 19th century industrial revolution, melanism, business conglomerates, and things like that. You know, they've tended to buy and buy and buy and get bigger and bigger and bigger while not exactly being able to, you know, exist on quality and service and tailoring of the product to those local audiences, right? You know, we spent 15 minutes talking about turkey time because we know that the people in Hilliard are crazy about turkey time. So, okay, we'll talk about it. But, like, what is what makes something readable, critical, crucial to the community? I think as we're going on in this, we're discovering, like, there are there needs to be more opportunities for how people access this, maybe access you if there's a way that people can, you know, contact you get in touch on a tip line or on like a on like a, a a google like a gmail or what do you call it a google phone what do you come on tech man a gchat window or whatever sure. this, a gchat window there's all sorts <laughs> i mean i'm not talking like and that's the nice thing about working in local news you, you don't need to have like a secure telegram channel or whatever this nonsense is but like if there's a way for people to get in touch with you to provide you quotes to provide you information you know, that should be something we build in. Well, you can reply to any Substack email and oh. get to us. So that okay. is one way. If you if you subscribe to the newsletter, you should be able to just reply to those emails. And I that, see. And that'll come to us. I see. Okay. Okay. I think there may be some buttons in there that you can that we can add that might allow for some short form commenting as well. Yes. And I think there's a forum that we that we might establish too. Right. Within the within there, so you know those are things that that might come in time. I think to the whole the whole Hilliard Beacon, whatever becomes the Hilliard Beacon. But I, I like the idea of people being able to reach out to you and leave you information. Of course, you know you'd have to reach back and independently verify, and that might get into some you know work time and whatever balance and things like that that you're willing to do and set up. But I think more is better than not enough. At least in in these early days, you know, while we're developing this this model, right? This thing. Well, I think everybody can read that story and get deep into it and find their way uh, into our continuing coverage of it. Mm-hmm. Um, do you want to preview a little bit? Maybe what's on tap? What are we looking at doing next week potentially? Do you have a, a, a foot in the a foot on the ground, a finger in the air? Are you feeling Are you feeling your way towards something? Uh, in light of uh, the national news of what occurred in East Palestine, um, I did uh, reach out to the Norwich Township Fire Department just to ask what their existing uh, protocols were. I mean, no, no secrets there. I mean, most people could probably guess what kind of reaction might uh, might come if there's a uh, if there is a derailment in Hilliard. Um, but I still thought that was timely. Something I probably would have suggested doing for. Um, for uh, Northwest News, um, uh, I could maybe also explore when the last derailment was. I mean, we, we're all aware. Of, if you live in Hilliard, you are well aware of the uh, train history that we have. It was founded mm-hmm. as Hilliard Station by John Reed Hilliard 
there on at Main Street and Center Street as a rail stop. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, for those who live in the city as long as I have, uh, you can recall trains blocking Main Street and Cemetery Road at the same time and effectively uh, severing the city. Uh, I mean, before they had other north-south arterials and other ways to get around, and the underpasses weren't built. Um, I mean, truly, I mean, Leap Road was about the only north-south and Cemetery Road um, east-west. And these trains would stop and block block the road. Do an interesting. Uh, that's uh, why they built the underpass. <laughs> um, uh, so that history could be looked up. Uh, I think there's some copies of the newspaper up at the fire station. In fact, there was a derailment. I should have gone and looked it up. I think it was in the early 1950s. But okay. there was some boxcars that derailed uh, between uh, Main Street and um, Cemetery Road, mm-hmm. along where uh, Benito's Pizza used to be. Oh, okay. uh, and those boxcars had uh, ammunition in it, and uh, and there was a fire, and the ammunition, of course, launched off. So uh, they kind of waded back overnight and, and contained the area, and and the shells exploded. Um, uh, and that, that history was, under, that was a big fire. Fun we, history um, under every rock. We pray for something that mild. <laughs> we do. <laughs> uh, but there's copies of that. It might be, I don't know if the Dispatch or the Old Citizen Journal. Um, and uh, it's, it's interesting to look at newspapers back in a 96-point type, basically. And it still called it Hilliards. Sure. And, and the papers, uh, it was an account of the fire and the, uh, and the, and the derailment. But, yeah, we'll have to get that stuff in, or we'll um, have to get a look at it. Maybe but, get a photo uh, or two. I asked, uh, I asked, I asked what the protocols were, and there's mutual response, of course. Sure. Uh, but, but I asked, you know, what what would what would happen? Who would respond? What are the? I mean, does, is FEMA automatically involved, or does it need to rise to a certain level of critical? Uh, does it need to be a certain? Does it need to be critical for to a certain level for for uh, EMA to get involved? Um, That's a great so, point because I think a lot of what everyone's been pulling their hair out about is that they don't understand or they have not read anywhere what the actual steps one, two, three, four are in arriving at a state of emergency that, you know, the governor agrees to call in the national authority because, you know, that's how these things are organized in civil society. So this has to be structured, but, you know, as things are flying back and forth across the internet, uh, with, unsubstantiated uh, quote-unquote reporting, uh, mm-hmm. those facts get lost. And that's not what we're interested in doing. We're interested in taking our time, letting Kevin produce the kind of reporting that he's really good at, and look into things in a way that provides you guys out there in our listenership and readership the information that you need uh, to live here in Hilliard and to feel like you're part of this town. Um, I think that's about 30 minutes Mm-hmm. I think we're right about where we want to be for convo time this week. Um, I think everybody's looking forward to next week. We've got the you know the rail reporting that you're doing from the perspective of Northwest uh, Township Support and Safety mm-hmm. Services, right? Is that how it's what's it called again? Norwich Township. Norwich Township. Northwest. I'm thinking of the fire station. Um, so we're looking forward to that, and I'm I'm looking forward to that very much. I grew up very close to East Palestine, and I've just been thinking about it uh, pretty much nonstop. Um, one of my good friends has moved down there at this point in his life, and he was fixing up a house, uh, and he's in the middle of remodeling this house, and this happens. And, uh, you know, it's not the most important thing happening in the world, but it's something that's important to Ohioans. As a, as a state that's gone through our fair share of environmental um, situations, issues, and 
problems over the years brought on us by large corporations um, externalizing the risks of their business on us and privatizing their profits. Um, I felt like now was a really important time to, to write about it and talk about it, and I'm excited that we're going to do some of that too. So thank you for taking a look at that, Kevin. I appreciate it. And uh, we appreciate all you folks out there. Um, I've once again monopolized the microphone, and I am very <laughs> sorry about that. Um, if you guys have anything you'd like to plug real quick or talk about briefly before I wrap up, I'm good to go. He's good to go. We've got coffee uh, to roast. I've got donuts to make, and Kevin's got reporting to write. Uh, I've been Jordan Smith. That's Tim Hoffman over there. And once again, we're joined by Kevin Corvo, the uh, newest reporter for the Hilliard Beacon, uh, an invention of uh, our own wild minds and your own need for good local news. Thank you, everybody. I really appreciate you. Have a great rest of your day, and we'll see you again next week.